the news round on Off the Ball with Gillette. We don't just play the game, we change it. Gillette, made of what matters. This is News Talk. Hello, folks. You're welcome along to Monday evenings off the ball. We're looking back in a weekend where St. Pat's beat Bowes in front of 37,000 fans at the Aviva Stadium to win the FAI Cup. We'll be chatting about that this hour. Dan McDonald's going to join us in a short while. Pat Nevin, meanwhile, was at Stamford Bridge yesterday. Pat will be along for the football show after nine. And the rugby season in particular has been interrupted by COVID once again. Munster have been cleared in the main to fly home from South Africa from today. Meanwhile... Ulster victorious at the RDS for just the second time ever, first time in eight years. Fiona Hayes and Darren Cave on the way after eight o'clock. And Tommy Rooney will talk to us about the weekend's GA action as well. 53106, the text number. We are at off the ball on Twitter. Richie McCormick, dare I ask how you are? Hello. I'm all right. I'm all right. I was just talking to Dave before we came on air and JP actually. And uh, yeah, if I had been if I had been a stonking, if I had been three, four, five nil or something like that, then I'd be in a whole lot worse mood. But you can't you can't get too upset over penalties, uh, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, take it take it in my stride, Joseph. They say it's a cruel way to end a game, Richie. <laughs> apparently so. Yeah, apparently so. Um, it's like it it just. I don't know, like, it wasn't a great quality final and it's a real disappointment that there was, like, the highest attendance for an Aviva final so far and the game took so long to get going. Like, it was really extra time before you could say there was proper life in it. Um, Pats were probably the better side over the course of 120 minutes. Um, Bowes probably had the better chances, ironically enough, and probably could have won it and probably should have won it, judging by the replays of Rory Feely's uh, shot in, in extra time. But, yeah... What can you say? It just uh, it just played out that way. Like, and for all like for all the clubs to have to have uh, to have beaten balls to do it. Like, if uh, you know, Pats are have a lot of good people behind them. A lot of good people run the club. Uh, one of their coaches grew up two doors down from me. Um, and yeah, congrats to them. Uh, thoroughly deserved win in so much as a one-all draw after 190 minutes can be thoroughly deserved. Yeah, thirty-seven thousand one hundred and twenty-six spectators through the gates. Dave McIntyre, you were one of them. I was thoroughly enjoyable afternoon. I'd echo pretty much everything Richie said there. I thought it was a poor game overall, as is often the case in cup finals. I certainly felt that for the majority of the 90 minutes, both sets of players were very much afraid of making the mistake that might lead to the, the, the goal that would likely decide the game because you felt from very early in the proceedings that it was going to be that sort of a game, a one-goal game. And In the end, it took 120 minutes to deliver two goals, but it definitely caught fire and extra time and I was there with my seven-year-old halfway through the second half he was happy enough to leave his temperatures were starting to drop and um, I just I said no look we'll get to extra time and <laughs> five minutes into the first period of extra time he asked the question you know maybe it's time we head on now I'm I'm starting to freeze over from the outs, inside out and um, they said no just give it another couple of minutes and then it caught fire a couple of brilliant goals I thought the header was superb the lead goal was brilliantly taken and there were chances of both ends and both goalkeepers pulled off several brilliant stops and it finally got the feel of a cup final for half an hour at least. Yeah. And then obviously the, the penalty shootout is, is a bit of a lottery, but overall a thoroughly enjoyable day. Proper cup final feel to everything that happened in the Aviva Stadium yesterday, right from the half an hour before kickoff, the build-up and, you know, the flare is probably illegal. They shouldn't have been in there, but you can't argue that at times the flares really added to the big game feel as well. I'm, I'm sure the authorities will will have looked at closely at that and they'll be hoping that maybe they can change that in cup finals going forward. But um, my, uh, myself and my son I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a great day. Yeah. No pyro, no party, Dave. 
<laughs> yeah, we had ended the game for us yesterday as well as doing the game from Stamford Bridge and the atmosphere far better it sounded at the Aviva Stadium. It was great to hear. It seemed a big, I, like, at, I, a big atmosphere in yeah. the background. You know, it was a lovely thing to hear for an Irish football was, event. Big game atmosphere and like I, I don't know like I, I, Dave, you were I think in the one of the upper stands. I was in the East, East upper, stand. Yeah. yeah, I was in the East stand. Lower was just underneath you. It just seemed like there was more than thirty seven thousand there. It didn't seem like there was vast like a swathe of of empty seats anywhere. It just felt like there was more. It felt like it felt like what a cup final should feel like. And like thinking back, like I was I was I froze my hoop off in in two thousand eight at the RDS behind one of the goals there, and there wasn't ten thousand at that. And you go through the ones that like Sporting Fingal won and then on through the the early struggles in the Aviva and, and managing to get a crowd. The the job that was done by both clubs um, in particular to get 37,000, I think they sold 39,000 tickets, a thousand odds didn't show. But to, to sell that amount of tickets for a cup final uh, off the back of the work at the clubs is just remarkable stuff. And and, should, and both clubs like should be wholeheartedly commended for for getting that done. And hopefully it sets the benchmark for 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 cup finals going forward because there's a lot of teams around the country who could bring similar support uh, if the right work is done to uh, to to an occasion like that. Well, you didn't miss much at Stamford Bridge. Work called. I was mainly focusing in that game, and the first half was just really tough going. The whole game, in so much as Michael Carrick afterwards tried to talk it up and even the pundits a little bit talked about progress and more organisation, it was actually just a statement of how far, far Manchester United have fallen. They went and often had five, on occasion six players in their defensive line. This was drop back, defend, show virtually no ambition. 66% possession Chelsea, all the chances for Chelsea, 24 attempts to three and but for Jorginho losing the flight of a ball in the floodlights, United would just have had, had nothing to offer up here. And it was talked about as, God, that's not bad. That's not a disaster. They are back, Dave, to starting from square zero here. I mean, this was back to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer when he first got the job and was just trying to hit teams on the break. And now they're doing a lesser version of that. And there's optimism about it. Uh, Ralph Rangnick cannot come in soon enough. Yeah, but he, I, it's very hard to point the finger of blame at anyone over the last week for that. I mean, I was commentating on the Watford game and, I mean, Watford could have had eight. So, I mean, they're not even at square one. What are the what are the vantage points before square one? They had to go all the way back to that. And the first thing, and we spoke about it last Tuesday night on the show, that the new man in, whether it was Carrick for a few days or Rangnick in a longer-term situation, they should see it as a really great opportunity to make United better quickly because they're, they were so bad defensively. I described it as low-hanging fruit last week. They, the first thing they should be able to do is make themselves harder to beat. And even in a week under Carrick, they've made themselves more difficult to beat. They've drawn at Chelsea, the Champions League winners from last season. They've gone to Villarreal and beaten them and booked their place in the last 16 in the Champions League with a game to spare. In comparison to where they were at the full-time whistle at Vicarage Road, the players and the management of all yesterday probably feel that they're a world away from there. But you're right, they, they are starting from such a low point that it seems progress will be slow and real progress is a long way away. But what were the alternatives given what had befallen them in two of their last three away games they conceded four times against two teams who were going pretty average this season. Watford obviously relegation fodder. Leicester City have turned it around in the last week or so but they were in a bad patch when they hammered United. I mean, what else was Michael Carrick to do? Well, I don't know, really. Although Roy Keane did ask the fair enough question, what's he been doing for the last six months? Why were they not harder to beat, for instance, against 
Watford or against Liverpool or against Man City. We'll uh, talk about it with Pat Nevin a little bit later on on the uh, football show. Keane seems to have that opinion that Manchester United should be winning games because they're Manchester United or Manchester United should be competitive because they're Manchester United. There doesn't seem to be much appreciation of the reality of their situation now, which is that they, like, they're like they such a badly organised team and have been for a while that the best bet is when you go to somewhere like Chelsea who like don't concede goals. Like That was their fifth goal they conceded all season, 13 games. Like To score against them is, is an achievement in and of itself, but they've been steamrolling teams. Yeah. So if you've been in the four Manchester United, it's well within your rights to go there and be conservative because otherwise you're going to get stuffed. Oh, they're well within their rights, but it just shows yeah. how... F- badly the season has fallen apart that this was their only option almost and they were still battered like I mean they just got away with it to be fair to Keane in that rather odd argument with Carragher which was kind of going around in circles a little bit Keane was arguing that Manchester United are just a cup team now win an FA Cup or win a a League Cup that's kind of what Manchester United are and that's what Ronaldo was bought for that they were nowhere near and are nowhere near winning the league so but it was hard to make that out (laughs) I think Carragher was just thinking to himself Dave I can't back down here because this clip's going viral and it can't be Roy Keane shuts me up so I'm going to keep screaming too yeah I may be in the minority of one but the person who I could couldn't take my eyes off was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbeck 100% he's the star of that show (laughs) he is the star of that show completely Jimmy as is so often the case for the guy in in the middle of Keane Souness Keane Mika Richards, Keane Neville, Keane Carrier. There's nowhere to go and there's nowhere to look. And the way he came in with some vanilla comment about, well, you know, you have to find a way to get him in the team. And I just kind of thought to myself, Jimmy, you're probably better off not saying anything at all there. <laughs> you know, because it's, I felt sorry for him again being the guy who's, who is so often the case, caught between Keane and day another. I couldn't take my my eyes off Jimmy Fine Hasselbeck. <laughs> but um, Carragher's point was a good one. I could all, fully understand why Ronaldo didn't start yesterday. Absolutely. And 100%. had that penalty not been given away, I mean, another low point in the season of low points for Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Had that not been given away and Ronaldo had come in with 20, 25 minutes to go and Chelsea were still behind and they're starting to commit even more bodies forward and maybe throwing more caution to the win. And Ronaldo helps United hit Chelsea on the break and they win 2 0. Characters, he, a character, or Carrick rather, will be depicted as being a, a master craftsman in what he had done yesterday. So I could fully understand why Ronaldo hadn't started. And he has started most games. He is 36 years of age. And there are going to be times where it probably is the better option not to start him. Mm. Uh, we should start the news round because there's loads going on. It is, as ever, with thanks to Gillette, proud sponsors of Movember. Gentlemen, start your razors. And you've got the latest on Munster in South Africa, Richie. Yeah, they're pressing on with preparations for their opening Heineken Champions Cup match. They remain in South Africa, as you mentioned, awaiting the results of a new round of PCR tests. One member of Munster's travelling party is isolating in a separate hotel, having tested positive for COVID-19. Earlier today on News Talk, Minister of State for Sport Jack Chambers said that all but two of the Munster group are to be allowed home. The squad will have to isolate for 10 days upon their return with a trip to Wasps due on December 12th. Monsters say Academy Manager Ian Costello is working with Academy players and indeed a select number of returning internationals for that game at the Rico. The football pod with Paddy and Andy. You don't produce a Kieran Kilkenny or an Ushin Mullen. You don't produce them overnight. They take time, takes a lot of work, massive loss for his club, but he's made for professional sports. Download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GAA podcast feed now. Yeah, within the context of uh, rugby and rugby not being all that important in the wider scheme of things in this pandemic, it's disastrous for the tournament. The URC have cancelled the weekend games in South Africa just gone and next weekend as well. The way all this was working over the weekend 
weekend. I mean, it was frantic, really, for the various URC teams from the Northern Hemisphere to try and get home. And uh, Munster and Scarlets uh, shared a flight to get to Cape Town. Cardiff and Zebra convened there as well. The plan was to charter a flight home. And then the PCR testing showed that there were two positive cases in the Cardiff camp, one of them being the new variant. And then with Munster, one positive case and one close contact. So both of those two travelling members of the 34-person party are going to stay behind, which sounds like yeah. no fun. We wish them well. And so 30, to that, 32 yeah, to that the, the UK weren't allowing uh, flights and they were essentially having to wait for the OK from the Civil Aviation Authority before they could even get into the country. Yeah. So you could have had a situation whereby they passed the latest round of tests but were still waiting two or three days maybe to get back in and they get being delayed and going cyclical ever further and just being essentially stranded down there yeah. twiddling their thumbs with games about to, to roll around the corner and start next month very messy and Scarlets are up in Belfast at the moment they flew into Dublin on this charter flight but I, I suppose the um, immediate point what it means for the URC and trying to fit in these games in South Africa or maybe moving the games to somewhere like Italy which had been talked about or maybe if you know it quickly turns out this variant is everywhere that in two or three weeks time they'll relax the travel restrictions it seems there's a period of discovery at the moment with the new variant but regardless if you just look at the European fixtures Dave Munster due to play Wasps in Coventry on Sunday December the 12th now if they were to arrive home tomorrow and tomorrow might even be a bit ambitious but if they were to arrive home tomorrow they would be released from quarantine on Friday the 10th and presumably on Friday they have, or Saturday morning they'd have to fly to Coventry for this game on the 12th I don't know I don't know if that's a fair ask well it's clearly not it's a horrendous situation. I mean, there's so much of the human element involved. Those two members of the touring party that are being left behind, you just feel so sorry for those guys and, and for their families. And you feel sorry for the organizers of the URC who have had to endure so much over the last few years. And we had that brother, you know, uh, difficult to stomach rainbow cup at the back end of last season that nobody really was able to get into and the South African teams playing South African teams and the same Celtic league sides playing each other all over again and we really thought this was a bright new dawn the start of this season's URC and for my money it had started really well the new season and it was generating a lot of interest and just as we were about to see the metal of the South African teams on home soil having other sides visit them for a change this you know, drops upon them and it's like a bomb and you feel sorry for everybody involved. How Munster are going to be get prepped for this Wasp game, I just do not know. It's the biggest game of their season right now. Um, even if they weren't able to get a bit of training in, which at the moment you don't see how that will be the case, I think they'll have gone seven weeks without a match. Mm-hmm. I mean, heading to what is one of the most difficult groups or games in your conference in the Heineken Champions Cup, it just it's all turning into the perfect storm. Bit of a nightmare for everyone, but it, it's going to be very difficult to see how Munster come out of this, A, with their season unscathed, but B, you just want everybody to get home safely and back to where they belong. Manchester United confirmed Ragnick this morning, Rich. They certainly did, yeah. He's their new interim manager. The German will guide United through the last six months of their season, having left his role as Lokomotiv Moscow's head of sports and development. Ragnick says his job now is to help the United players fulfil their potential. He'll move on to a consultancy role in the summer once a permanent manager is found. But Michael Carrick is likely to be in charge of Thursday's Premier League meeting with Arsenal as Rangnick awaits his work visa. The reporting yesterday, Jonathan Northcroft, for instance, had it that Rangnick blew Ed Woodward and co away in the uh, Tuesday Zoom interview. Uh, by far the outstanding candidate for Valverde and all the rest couldn't uh, compete with the things Ralph Rangnick was saying. And that swung their judgment. 
Uh, I suppose what surprised everyone at Touch Day, the six months everyone knows about. And look, I suspect Rangnick is coming thinking, if I do it, you got to do a good job for the six months. I'm going to stay on as manager. But regardless, the two-year consultancy uh, contract is also interesting. I mean, nice work if you can get it. Uh, there's a vagueness to that, isn't there? I mean, consultancy might be, well, I'll take a phone call once a month from uh, my home in Germany. Or consultancy could be, well, I'll be around the club on a fairly daily basis. They've got Darren Fletcher as technical director, John Murta as football director. If either, if I was either of those, I'd be asking, what exactly is this Ralph Ladd doing from September 2022? Yeah, well, the Darren Fletcher appointment as technical director is a peculiar one anyway, because he's got absolutely no experience. And it's the sort of appointment that Manchester United have been routinely making over the last seven or eight years. So I would fear for Darren Fletcher if I was Darren Fletcher, because I don't see how he has a long term future in such a high profile role if they get these two appointments right. On the face of it, they've got this one right. It seems to be the first bit of long term thinking that they have done in quite some time. They, that they're not maybe quite taking so much of a gamble on what they're going to do over the in next three to four months in the very short term. If it's a case that he feels a good job over the next six months, a brilliant job, would open the door for him to get the manager's job on a permanent basis. If I was a United supporter, that would worry me because that would indicate that they are not doing anything in the meantime to appoint their next long-term manager. And that if they're waiting until the summer, and to see how the next six months go under Rangnick, well, then that's a problem. If Pochettino is their man, you would think that Manchester United hierarchy are working on that day in, day out, as we speak, trying to clear the way for PSG to be happy for Pochettino to walk in the summer. Perhaps he'll be sacked by PSG. You don't know what will happen between now and then. But overall, it looks like a good appointment with a long-term future in play as some sort of sporting director, you call it a consultant, we'll see how that pans out. And in the background, they're actively working completely separate to Ranyuk on the new man in charge. Mm. That's what my United fans would be hoping for. Whether that's actually happening, who knows? Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe it's shrewd. It's a, it's a, it's a shot to nothing uh, win-win scenario. He does great, give him the contract and he stays on as manager. He doesn't do great, there's no great scandal. There's no great sense of, oh, they've lost another manager because this was always the plan. Anyway, Richie, there's lots of texts coming in on the crowd trouble mm. yesterday. I know you're turning to the match yesterday and, and you've uh, a statement from Bose on that, but some reaction from the Pats captain, first of all. Yeah, Pats claimed that fourth FAI Cup yesterday and their first in seven years. Stephen O'Donnell's side beat Bohemians 4-3 on penalties after the sides played out a one-all draw after extra time at the Aviva Stadium. Pats captain Ian Birmingham was asked how yesterday's win stacks up next to that of 2014. It's probably the best feeling I've had in football, to be quite honest with you. Um, just in terms of like the way, obviously winning the league in the cup a good few years ago now is obviously brilliant, but you might think sometimes that it happens every year then, but to go on the sort of decline that we did, yeah, the decline, but we went on a little bit of a slip over the last number of years, and just to come back here to <coughs> happen this time, I said it to the lads before the game, it's an absolute honour to lead them out to the Aviva for this club um, in a cup win. It was probably the proudest day in my football career to do that. And um, obviously to come out on the winning side and to lift the trophy <coughs> with a great friend of mine, Christian Neil, who's been here longer than me. Um, it's just special. And to add to that, I had my first child on Friday, <laughs> which it's probably all my dreams came true in, in, in a weekend. So I'm just... I can't believe it, to be quite honest with you. It's the best weekend of my life, to be honest. 
I mean, bloody right it is. Ian Birmingham, congratulations. Pippa, by the way, Dave, little girl on Friday morning and now lifts the trophy with uh, the physio he mentioned there who's been at the club for ages. So an amazing weekend for him. Class, isn't it? Yeah, Absolutely beautiful. class to be a new dad and then a cup winner in the space 36 or 48 hours is amazing. It's yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's mental. And then, so Bohemian statement, Richie, I think you were onto them looking for the statement. Yeah, yeah. I contacted them this evening. They're uh, rightly enough uh, upset and, and pretty angry. Uh, it's, it's fair to say this one. They say a Thai minority were behind the violent incident in Irish Town yesterday where a number of St. Pat's fans were attacked by around two dozen individuals. Bows have condemned the incident, saying any individuals identified in the footage will be banned from the club and it is nothing uh, that they would tolerate or encourage, of course. Yeah, so uh, lots of texts in. As someone who lives near the ground, if there's another cup final in Lansdowne Road, it'll be too soon, says Kieran, And somebody else says, hope you mention the issues before the game. Sea of glass and bottles in Irish town on the way to crash this morning. This is a texture. We'll just uh, be cautious-ish in our comments because there may well be criminal proceedings if the Guardian are looking to identify those involved. I mean, Dave, it's... Ugh. And on the one hand, see, I think I've, I've seen in the last uh, 24 hours or so League of Ireland fans on Twitter very upset if this is mentioned. You know, they had, you know, a typical media making a big deal about this and how dare you and you're just, you know, besmirching the league and it's a tiny minority. And yes, it is a tiny minority, but it has to be mentioned because if this happened before any sporting occasion, uh, we would talk about it because the scenes are incredibly unsavoury. And then... Equally, I mean, I didn't want to lead with it either because it is a small minority and the 40,000 odd at the stadium and most of us looking on just find the pictures embarrassing. Like, you'd be mm. just embarrassed for them. Um, I am. Like, I, I say that as a supporter of one of the clubs, like, completely yeah. mor- mortified by it. And to the textures point in around the stadium, like, clearly I didn't do laps of the place, but, like, the, in the stadium itself, definitely I didn't encounter anything but even close to... Uh, trouble or aggro in and around the stadium coming in and leaving and I was there with uh, a 10 year old and a 7 year old like nothing like so the Irish town thing seems like a complete outlier and a horrible one at that and like it, like the, the the point I think where, where League of Ireland fans get a little bit testy about it is that this is the thing that will be covered and like the match would almost fall into the halfpenny place and they see instances like this getting more coverage than any rank or file game would and you know there's there's umpteen reasons for that we can, we can take longer to go into it but like that's where the anger is is that this is the prism through which people who don't see the league through the other 30 odd weeks of the year whatever it is this is how they view it and yeah. it's a it's a, and it's a wrong view it's a view and it's something that happened and it's that, something that nobody has happened or should you know be uh reveling in at all and it's and should be disgusted and, and outraged by it but yeah it shouldn't dominate either, you know. That's, maybe maybe uh, shouldn't dominate. Although I think it deserves serious enough coverage because it is a serious incident and it is, you know, does the Minister for Sports on the station talking about it. Like it is a very significant incident in conjunction with a football match. Now, I don't know, Dave, if these are even fans who even went to the bloody game. Are they just, you know, they're just piggybacking on the event and looking for trouble and going for it. Or maybe they are fans and they think this is the way to behave. Like, what's so embarrassing about it is they support an Irish team and they probably think less of people who support an English team and yet they're cultivating the most obnoxious, embarrassing elements of English supporters, i.e. hooliganism. Like, that's that's almost the most embarrassing aspect of the whole thing. Yeah, there is. A, I mean, that's a really good point. And I mean... By extension of that, if you've got someone like myself that would be working pretty much every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I don't get too many opportunities to bring my son to a game, 
Um, would I look upon an incident such as that and decide that I want to bring him to Dalymount Park or uh, to, for example, a Bohemian Shamrock Rovers derby on a Friday night at Dalymount Park? Absolutely not. I wouldn't even consider bringing my seven-year-old to Dalymount um, for a derby game such as that. In the knowledge that there have been incidents such as the one we saw yesterday in the past, pretty routinely when it comes to certain fixtures, and it happened again yesterday. So that'd be one point I'd make. But again, it is a tiny minority. It's a handful of thugs that have got themselves involved in a, something that I would imagine, a, and therefore their part was preordained. And it's very to tarnish. I'm not saying anybody is doing it, but very rude to tarnish the League of Ireland or Bohemia's football club as a whole with the brush that will be used to tar those guys yesterday. Yeah. Um, now, all Bohemians can do is make the sort of statement they've made today, go to every length possible to, in conjunction with the Gardaí to identify those involved and ensure the right steps are taken to prevent those guys from ever entering Dalyman Park again or any League of Ireland ground ever again. But you made the point, perhaps they don't go to games. I mean, they were just a group that had trouble in mind and didn't have tickets for the game and just went out for what they saw would be a bit of fun. Um, we don't have any knowledge of the facts, really, apart from that at the moment. No. Okay, well, we'll see where it goes. Um, Leinster, then, they have mm. issued uh, injury update. I suppose the James Ryan news caught the Irish. Yeah, it did. Uh, he's going to see an independent concussion consultant, they say, as part of his recovery from a head injury. The lock took a blow to the head in Ireland's recent win over Argentina. He missed, of course, last week's game with Ulster and has completed the return to play protocols but he requires further monitoring in line with World Rugby regulations. Jameson Gibson Park is going to have a thigh injury assessed before Friday's game at Connacht, while Dan Levy is also following return to play protocols after Saturday's defeat for, uh, to Ulster. Leinster lost 2010, Ulster's first win in Dublin for eight years. And on this morning's OTBAM, Alan Quinlan was asked if it was down to complacency. It's it's possible, Nathan, um, and it can happen. Everybody can kind of have... Uh... You know, one of those off days, um, as I said, you don't really see it that much from Leinster. Um, they've scored the most, conceded the least in, in the league up to this point. Um, they've been very, bar, bar that Dragons match, as you said, where it was um, it was a poor performance. Um, and maybe it's a mental thing. And he did say that. I, th- I thought it was really interesting that maybe some of the players believed the hype. Um, very, very strong Leinster side. I was surprised with the likes of Tyke Furlong starting the game. Um, you know, but look, there's obviously a plan for this next block, and they they manage the players like that. And I'm sure Furlong wanted to start, and they probably needed him to start because Alatoa was away with Samoa. Um, but yeah, mentally, it looked like it looked like they left it too late to react. But then they had periods in the game where they were they looked like they'd score, and they looked like the inevitable would would happen. Um, but Credit to Ulster, you know, um, Timoney, Alan O'Connor, these guys, they just put in so many tackles. Um, James Hume was brilliant in the centre. And like I said, it can be bad mentally. And mentally, we're talking about Leinster maybe switching off a little bit here. And sometimes you can change that out on the field over the 80 minutes. But when you you lose the match, you can look back at the... um, Maybe things that happen in training and maybe just being a little bit relaxed going into the game, even if it's only a couple of percent. But the real key here is Ulster for them. Can they build on this and get consistency and have that kind of steely edge about them? 
Alan Quinlan there. As uh, Richie was saying on the James Ryan scene, the independent concussion consultant, that is mandatory. That's just triggered as part of the return to play uh, protocols. I know it sounds incredibly dramatic. It's not that things aren't progressing on his part. I've no idea how things are progressing, but he would be seeing the independent concussion consultant either way. Well, Leo, you don't pass the return to play protocols, the initial ones, you know, unless yeah. you're Grant, you know, so that's that's a positive, you know. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, Alan Quinlan referenced Leo Cullen's comments after the game, Dave. <laughs> I mean, he says these things in a very calm, even-tempered way, and yet the words themselves, when you see them written down, I suspect it's going to be a touchy week at training. So he's, he was talking about mixing the team up and how it's great for competition, but you risk losing cohesion. But he said, when a group doesn't deliver like this, then in many ways, sometimes that's their chance gone. And that's the harsh reality that some guys need to face for sure. And then at another point, he said, it's a kick in the backside. There's a lot of hype about this team. We we need to make sure we don't listen to any of that. So I think that gives you a glimpse of how Leinster might react to this. They were, by the way, without Andrew Porter, Keane Healy, Ronan Keller, James Ryan, Ryan Baird, Jack Conan, Josh van der Fleer, Caelan Doris, Jameson Gibson-Park, Johnny Sexton, Gary Ringrose, James Lowe, Hugo Keenan. Yeah, look, there's there's three quick points I'd make on this. Firstly, I'm surprised these sort of performances don't present themselves more often with Leinster because they are so used to winning games and it is human nature to maybe let your standards slip here and there. Um, but they rarely throw in a display like this, which I think is a credit to them. Secondly, there'll be a part of Leo Cullen that I would suspect is quietly pleased by what happened because it's the right time of the season to throw in a performance like this. It's a useful weapon that he's got in his army now when it comes to whipping these lads into shape for huge European games coming up in the knowledge that those names you've just listed are about to come back into the training paddock. So I'd say while he wouldn't enjoy the defeat, certainly wouldn't enjoy watching a team he set up go out and play like that, there's part of him just thinking, right, we can use this to our advantage big time over the next few weeks. And thirdly, it's a huge result for Ulster. And it's all talk about Leinster, but you can't take away from how well Ulster played, how clinical they were. They took their chances. Winning it in the or in, in Dublin against Leinster is something they have not done very often. Did you say it was the second time in their history? Yeah. First time in eight years. And it's a huge fill-up for them. So Leinster will get over this quickly, but I think Ulster will take an awful lot from it. And this sort of result of performance may really stand to them in the weeks and months ahead. The News Round on Off The Ball With Gillette We don't just play the game We change it Gillette Made of what matters